You'll be sitting here, Miss Maryland, the director said. He sat me down on a hard wooden chair facing a mahogany table draped in a red tablecloth. Placed atop the tablecloth were ten lit candles. Nine of the candles were arranged in a circle, with a tenth placed in the middle. Across from me was another empty chair. A thick black curtain was strung up behind the table. Presumably, the ten strangers I would be dating were standing behind it. The email had come to me at a bad time in my life. I had just divorced my husband and spent most of my savings buying a new home 500 miles away in the city. I was struggling to find a job and was extremely in debt. So when I was offered $5,000 to take part in a social experiment, I was ecstatic. $5,000 was more than enough money to pay off my debts until I could find a suitable job. The event was hosted by a so-called virtual media company and was intended to display the psychological differences between the two sexes. The whole speed date was supposed to be filmed and released to the public via their many social media outlets. I didn't have a problem being on camera, especially <laughs> since I was being paid so much. In retrospect, I should have had more suspicions about the whole thing. How was this company, which I'd never heard of, able to pay 5k to some random person with no credentials to sit down and talk with some guys for a few hours. Anyways, the director, who introduced himself as Mr. Monroe, told me that there were three rounds, and for each of the rounds, I would speak to each of the men for a set amount of time. After I had spoken with all of them, I would have to eliminate some of them until I was left with one man who I would go out with the next weekend. The shoot seemed legitimate. A professional makeup crew had dolled me up, and the studio was jam-packed with expensive-looking equipment and lighting. About 25 people were milling about behind the set, setting up cameras and making sure everything was ready. After about an hour, everything was set up and we were rolling. I was asked to introduce myself to the camera, which I did, reading off the key cards one of the crew members was holding up in the back. We only had to do one take of introduction before the first guy was brought out. The first round was simply titled, Introductions. I had five minutes to speak with each of the contestants. All I needed to do was ask them some basic questions about their lives. The first man stepped out from behind the curtain. He was pretty average-looking, with long blonde hair and a wispy goatee on his chin. He was wearing khakis and a golf shirt. He approached slowly. I noticed as he walked that he had a limp. I didn't think much of it and immediately began talking to him as he sat down across from me. So, what's your name? I asked. There wasn't a script for this part of the video, but I figured I could just ask the same questions to each of the guys. My name is Ian. He seemed to be staring off into space. 
Yeah. Ian. Where are you from? I asked. Ian didn't respond. He just kept staring towards something in the back of the room. I repeated the question. Uh, <laughs> where are you from? Ian snapped out of his trance and quickly answered. I'm from Vancouver. Interesting. Did you fly all the way down here? No, I, um, I moved here a few weeks ago. Nice town. Nice town. There was definitely something off about Ian. At first, I assumed he was stoned. But as I looked into his eyes, I realized something. He was scared. The look in his eyes was that of pure, primal fear. Maybe he has social anxiety, I thought. I continued on. The rest of the interview went similarly. I asked him about his job, his family, his hobbies. He answered every question in the same elusive manner, only giving me brief answers and staring off into space most of the time. After the five minutes was up, the next man stepped out and Ian was ushered away behind the curtain. This man was a little more open. He introduced himself as Kaspar and said he had lived here his whole life. Though he definitely had an improvement over Ian, he still seemed somewhat on edge, refusing to tell me about his job or family. After Kaspar was Jonathan, who was the first one to ask me any questions. He was also more open about his past, but when I asked him why he was here as part of the speed date, he quickly changed the subject. I thought it was a little odd, but I chose to ignore it. It went on like this for about an hour, asking each of the men questions. Some of them were open about their lives. Some of them outright refused to talk about certain things. I figured that was all normal, and that some of them were just nervous. Finally, we made it to the final contender. He looked as if he hadn't shaved in months, and his clothes were dirty and torn. I was already planning to eliminate him when he sat down. Before I was able to speak, he said loudly, My name is Mason. I was a little taken aback. I began to speak, but he cut me off. Mason lowered his voice down to a whisper and said, You need to get out of here. I almost asked him what he meant, but the look in his eyes told me that I was not to acknowledge his comment. After that, we had a normal discussion, and at the end of our time, he stood up and walked away. As he made his way back to the black curtain, he looked behind at me and shot me a knowing glance. Now, it was time for elimination. I had to select four men who would no longer be part of the competition. The producers gave me five minutes to deliberate on who I would remove. I really considered eliminating Ian, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. He seemed so scared, 
so pitiful that I felt guilty removing him. I also thought about removing Mason, but his strange behavior intrigued me. I wasn't sure if he was crazy or just trying to scare me, but I couldn't let go of him just yet. Eventually, I picked out the four unlucky guys. Among them was Caspar. I'll admit, there was no real reason for eliminating him. It just unnerved me a little. The other three were either just unexciting or made me feel too uncomfortable. After I had listed the names of the eliminated participants out loud, a staff member escorted them away and out a small door in the back. Another staff member ran to the table and pinched out four of the ten candle flames. As they walked away, I noted the eliminated people's expressions. Some of them looked scared, almost as scared as Ian. Their eyes were wide, and they seemed extremely reluctant to leave. Caspar seemed more resigned than anything else, as if he was ready for whatever was going to happen next. Part of me wondered what was going on. Why did they all look so terrified? I didn't have time to think about it, because before I knew it, round two had begun. This time, the timer was shortened to three minutes. The round's title was Deal Breakers. I would have to discuss with the men the sorts of things that turned me off. Ian was first again. This time, he looked absolutely mortified. Before he even sat down, I could tell that he was hyperventilating. He dropped into the seat and said, Please help me. Are you okay? I asked. He looked sick to his stomach. Don't let them take me. He said, I can't. I can't go back. What the hell is going on? It's, it's alright. I said, even though I wasn't sure if it was. I was sure by now that Ian wasn't mentally stable. I also remembered that I wasn't required to take a background check when I accepted the job. Mr. Monroe recognized my discomfort and motioned to a group of crew members. They quickly ran to the set and dragged him away, literally kicking and screaming. Please! Ian cried. I can't! Please, don't let them take me to this hell! I was shaken, to say the least. I thought about the people I'd spoken to. They all seemed nervous, as if they had to be careful with their words. I wondered where they had come from, or why they were here. And why were they all so afraid of being eliminated? Mr. Monroe gave me some sort of an apology, telling me that Ian was having some sort of medical issue. I nodded. But deep down, I felt he was lying. I decided, however, for the time being, not to think about it. I only had to keep going for a little while longer, and then I could leave. The next man up was Mason, and I asked him what he would see as a deal-breaker in a relationship. He began answering, but suddenly grabbed my arm and slammed it onto the table. I cried out in pain. The director called out, and Mason immediately let go of my arm. 
Mr. Monroe beckoned for Mason to go over and talk to him. As Mason spoke with the director, I massaged my arm. It was as I brought it back down into my lap that I realized that I was holding something in my hand. I knew I hadn't been holding something before. I opened my fist and saw that I was clutching a piece of paper. On the scrap of paper was scrawled, You shouldn't have come here. This is all a lie. I looked around. It didn't look like the shoot was a lie. There were a ton of crew members and expensive equipment. It looked like a stereotypical movie set. Maybe he meant I wouldn't get paid the promised amount. But how would he know that? Suddenly, I heard a sound beneath me. I looked down, but I didn't see anything. The sound must have come from beneath me. I heard it again. It sounded like a scream. I froze. My heart stopped. The scream sounded like Aspar. I'm leaving you off with a warning, Mr. Monroe said to Mason. Any more inappropriate behavior and you'll be down with Ian. Mason nodded and sat back down across from me. He stared me in the eyes and I looked back. A silent understanding passed between us for a moment until I spoke again. So, Mason, I asked, keeping my eyes on him. What would you say is a deal breaker for you in a relationship? Probably, if she's too controlling, he responded. I want to be my own man. We chatted for a couple more minutes before our time was up. As he prepared to go behind the curtain, he whispered to me again. The eliminated are dead. The cameras aren't even on. That's when it really sank in. The behavior of the contestants. The note from Mason. Something very wrong was happening here. I glanced over at the cameras and noticed the light that is normally red when the camera's on was not visible. The next guy came out and I began conversing with him. I wasn't really focusing at this point. I just wanted to leave and go home and forget that this ever happened. I chatted with the next couple of guys, including Jonathan. Jonathan was my favorite out of all the contestants, but I couldn't stomach the idea that I would be eliminating anybody if the people I eliminated were actually killed. <laughs> I wanted to believe Mason was lying, but I could tell that he was dead serious when I talked to him. Eventually, the second round was over, and it was time for elimination. This time, I only had to eliminate three. Since Ian had been dragged out, that meant I would have to choose between two of them after the final round. Reluctantly, I chose the three guys I wanted to be removed. I felt awful. I couldn't look at them as they were ushered off set. I knew I had just doomed them to some unimaginable hell, but I had to choose someone. Just like the first round, someone ran out and snuffed out the four candles, leaving only two lit. This left me with two suitors, Jonathan 
and Mason. The final round was called the ideal date. The first person up was Jonathan. I don't remember the full details of our conversation, just that he said that his dream date was a picnic on the beach, watching the sunset and sipping a bottle of wine. I honestly didn't care. I just wanted to go home. I stammered some cookie-cutter dream date to him. Before long, he stood up and headed back to the curtain. He sighed as he did and muttered something under his breath. I couldn't tell if he was praying or trying to talk to me, but I didn't even bother listening. Finally, Mason came out. I could see the pure look of sadness on his face as we spoke. He said he would take me out to a nice restaurant and maybe a movie afterward. We both knew that it didn't matter. We knew what I would do, and there was no stopping it. Our time was up. Mr. Monroe called out from his chair. So, who are you going out with? I sighed. <sighs> Jonathan. Everybody offset began to clap. As Mason was escorted away, he kept his head down with a look of utter resignation on his face. I couldn't bear to look at him as the door closed and he was brought away. That was it. It was over. I had killed nine men for $5,000. Jonathan ran out. I could see the look of relief in his eyes as he thanked me over and over. The next couple of hours are a complete blur. I remember leaving the studio and driving back home. I remember collapsing on my couch and falling in and out of sleep for a day afterward. Now that I'm awake and alone, I've been trying to comprehend what I've experienced. There is not a shred of doubt in my mind that the eliminated men were killed. In fact, I'm certain that Mason was right about it all being a lie. I've tried finding the video they were supposedly filming of the speed date online, but I haven't found anything. Nor can I find the media company that I was working for. I've spent the last few days theorizing as to what was going on there. Nothing I've come up with makes any sense. However, one thing is for sure. I recently received a check in the mail from Mr. Nathan Monroe for $5,000.